Welcome to another episode of Strategy Simplified. If you're listening and you are a first-year MBA interested in breaking into consulting, then you know that you have interviews coming up in the next six to eight weeks. Your application deadline may have already have passed. If not, it's coming up soon uh, between November and the beginning of January. And then interviews will follow at the beginning of January on into February. So it's time to get your case prep underway. And in this episode, Naman breaks down a case prep plan for you to utilize to get ready in a condensed time period. So it's really practical. He gives you some milestones to hit for your case prep. So listen in, take notes, and then follow this prep strategy because it'll take you a long way towards landing an offer. All right, let's dive into the episode. Hello and happy Wednesday, everybody. Naman here, Chief Operating Officer of Management Consulted. I'm really excited to be with you today as we lay out a case prep strategy for MBA candidates who are preparing for 2024 internship interviews. And so your application deadlines are going to hit here in the next handful of weeks. You can expect to interview if you're in the US in January. If you are in Europe, uh, Canada, uh, you know, other non-US regions and territories, you can expect to interview shortly after that January into February. So no matter where in the world you are, no matter which firm you're targeting, this is high time for you to begin to get ready for case interviews. So you are in the right place at the right time. Before we dive right in, I just have a couple of announcements uh, as folks are still joining us from around the world. Uh, And before I make these announcements, I just want to give you a heads up that we are going to start today with a short case exercise. So if you would like to work alongside me in that case exercise, go ahead and grab a pen uh, and a piece of paper right now. Uh, And so I'll give you a couple minutes to grab paper, grab pen, and in the meantime, I will just make these couple of announcements. The first one is that our MBA case prep cohort begins in December. And so you have the opportunity to secure your spot now. What this case prep cohort includes is eight one-hour, one-on-one coaching sessions with an MBB coach. You can start those immediately after purchase. But it also includes a couple of extra goodies for MBAs who are preparing for case interviews is right now. The first goodie is that you will get access to an exclusive group training that we are running just for you in December. And so this will be a training that will accelerate your readiness for both case and behavioral interviews. And you will also get access to other MBAs in the management consulted community who are actively preparing for case interviews. So you get the you get the one-on-one MB MBB prep you get the group learning environment with the cohort, and you also get access to fellow MBAs who are going through the case prep process for additional peer practice. So from every angle, you have your practice covered through this MBA case cohort program. And so the link to learn more is in the chat. Uh, And my colleague Eden is here on the call. She's happy to answer your questions in the chat if you have questions today as I'm talking. And you can scan the QR code to grab time with her on her calendar as well. uh, If you would like to speak with somebody about if that program is right for you. 
The second announcement that I'd like to make is that application deadlines are coming up really, really soon. Today is November 8th. The first MBB deadline in the US hits tomorrow. And they hit over the next three weeks, depending on the firms that you're targeting and the programs that you are enrolled in. So if you haven't yet started to optimize your resume, if you haven't yet started to network, like the time to do that was yesterday. The second best time to do that is today. Uh, and so we're not talking about resumes and networking today, but that case prep cohort includes resume edits, includes networking support if you need it. And we're also happy to answer your resume and your networking questions when we get to the Q&A portion of today as well. It's not a part of the formal agenda, but I, I want to verbalize that now because you should be focused on those aspects of the recruiting process right now. McKinsey has even gone so far as to tell us when they're going to interview you. So if you find out this month or early next month that you have a McKinsey interview, everybody in the US uh, that's an, uh, an MBA candidate targeting an internship role is going to interview on January 4th. So if McKinsey is a target firm of yours, then you already know the day by which you need to be prepared for case interviews, which means you've got less than two months to get ready. I'll ask Japheth or Eden to pop a link in the chat so you can see all of the deadlines and all of the timelines, uh, and so that you're you're just prepared for all of the firms that you're targeting. But if MBB and McKinsey is on your target list, then know that you are kind of T minus 60 days to be at that MBB level and, and ready to go for first round interviews. Okay, I'll make a couple of, of, of other announcements at the end for folks that join late, but I wanna honor those of you who joined right at the beginning of the call. Let's go ahead and get right into it uh, and, and lay out a strategy for how you should pursue your case prep here over the next 60 days. One of the, the first things that's gonna be helpful for me to, to understand is just your program and when you expect to interview. So if you're an MBA at Johns Hopkins and you expect to interview this January, just go ahead and pop that in the chat for me. I'd love to see where you're from and when you expect to interview. That'll just help me really tailor today's content to the critical mass of you on the call today. So I'm going to just open this up for 30 seconds. If you're on LinkedIn, you can pop in your program and when you expect to interview in the comments. If you're here on the Zoom with me, you can do that in the chat. It'd just be helpful for me to see where you're at because that'll determine to some extent your application deadlines and when you can plan to interview. So sharing that context with me will be really, really helpful. And I can't really see the chat. So I will just ask Japheth if there's anything that is noteworthy in there to just call it out. But it'll be uh, nice for, for him to just let me know as we move throughout today if we've got certain programs or deadlines or timelines that are over-indexed in the group of folks that are here today. Okay, so as you're popping that in, I am going to open up a couple of polls. I'd like a little bit more information on where y'all are at so that we can best serve you today. So my first couple of questions for you are, first, how many cases have you done so far? The only ones that count are out loud with a partner. So I'm gonna keep this poll open for 10 seconds. 
I'm, I'm looking at my clock right now. So just real quick, give me a sense of where you're at. How many cases have you done so far? All right, I'll leave this open for about five more seconds. Okay, fantastic. Where are we at so far? Let me share the results. So it looks like a plurality of us have done between one to five cases out loud. Great. So we maybe theoretically and intellectually understand what a case is, but haven't gotten a whole lot of reps. Around 30% of us haven't done one, and that's fine. We'll set you up to do your first one after today. And then around 30% of us have done six or more. So we've got a we've got a, a split group, which is nice, but I'm I'm going to assume for our purposes today that most of you have just barely begun your actual execution of maybe some of the case theory that you know. And then it looks like a majority of us are interviewing in early 2023. That was to be expected. But a, a fair amount of us, 41%, plan to interview in December. Uh, and so uh, I will verbalize what some of you can do to prepare faster uh, and make sure that you're ready to go for cases in uh, December as well. So that's helpful. Uh, just for me to get a sense of where y'all are at and when you plan to interview. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to start with a market sizing warm up. We're going to make this really practical. I'm not just going to talk at you. We're actually going to we're going to do what I'll call a, like a real mini case together, uh, and then I'll walk you through how I would propose that you approach this kind of question inside of a case setting. Then I will walk you through our case prep plan. I will introduce you to the checkpoints that, that I believe you should hit between now and interviews. And then at the end of our time together, we'll open it up for questions. So here is your market sizing prompt. I'm gonna give you three minutes to do this. So go ahead and grab that pen and paper I mentioned earlier. And I am gonna ask you to size the market for dishwashers in Canada. I have no other information to give you. I have no other data to share with you. And if you really want to simulate the interview environment, you will not use Google and you will not use a calculator. So take three minutes and see if you can get to a number. Okay, and then we'll talk through how to approach this. So three minutes on the clock. Hey, MBAs. We're putting on a special case prep cohort just for you this December, 2023, that's right. Join our Black Belt program, link in the show notes to be a part of this exclusive cohort. We're gonna deliver a group training uh, specific for where you're at in the case prep process. So uh, join, check out, learn more about Black Belt, link in the show notes. We'd love to have you join for this MBA case prep cohort. All right, back to the show. All right, that's three minutes. Time flies when you're having fun, huh? So um, I'm curious, if you got to a number, pop it in the chat. Let's see what you got to. So if you sized the market for dishwashers in Canada and got to a number, let's see what you come up with. So Prashant says 12 billion. Prashant, I'm not sure what the units, units are there. So if you want to pop the units into, that'd be helpful. Xavier says 720 million. Uh, Xavier, I'm not sure if that's a total number or an annual number. We got 20 billion. Okay, so we're, we've got some diversity of numbers here. Ooh, I like the uh, the translation of Canadian dollars. Okay, we got 11 million. 
1.3 billion US dollars, okay. Do I know who's gonna be a good consultant just by looking at those answers? No, it's not a trick question. The answer is no. <laughs> uh, I, I don't, I have no idea. I don't judge you and I don't evaluate you when it comes to market sizing based on your answer. I evaluate you on your process. And if your process is believable, then your answer will be believable as well. So let's walk through what an ideal process is to size a market. First thing I wanna do is I wanna ask you all a couple of questions. So first question, how many steps did you take to solve the problem? Zero steps would be like, I just made up a number, right? And then maybe you took more than that. You took one to two math steps, three to four, maybe five plus. And then your second question is, what's the expected way to size a market? Okay, and I'm gonna leave this poll open for about 15 more seconds. I'll let you answer both questions and let's see what we've come up with. All right, five more seconds. Great. Let's shut this down and see where we're at. So a plurality of us said almost half. We took three to four steps to get to our answer. And then 30% of us said we took five plus. Great. And then we've got a real split group here on the expected way to size a market, which is always fun for me. But revenue per year one out. So let's take this from the top. How many steps should it take you to solve a market sizing problem? At the MBA level, it should take you five or more steps. And I'm gonna walk you through today a five-step process for how to size a market. It's robust enough to show me that you're thinking about the, the question holistically, that you have a sound enough process without overcomplicating things. So I want you to take a five-step process if and when you're sizing a market. And if I do not tell you otherwise, the expected way for you to size a market is revenue per year, okay? Revenue per year is how I can do and run a comparative analysis on products and services across markets or across segments. So it's really difficult for me to do comparative analysis based on buyers or units or even units per year. Revenue per year is how I'd run that analysis and how I'd make a lot of my uh, decisions that would be informed by comparative analysis. So if I don't tell you otherwise, your assumption should be that if I ask you to size a market, revenue per year is the metric that I'm looking for. And if we were actually in an interview, you would have gotten the chance to ask me a couple of clarifying questions. I didn't give you the chance here because we're a big group, but you would have gotten the chance to ask me uh, uh, some clarifying questions. And one of the clarifying questions you could have asked me would be the unit that I'm expecting you to size this market for. But one of the mistakes that a lot of candidates make is they ask me open-ended questions like that. Well, which unit would you like me to size this market in? The best candidates are hypothesis-driven with the questions that they ask. So you would say to me, I'm assuming that when you ask me to size the market for dishwashers in Canada, you're asking me to size the market in revenue per year. Can you confirm that? Yes or no? That's a good question. A question that just asks me, what are the units that you want me to use? Not a good question. So put a stake in the ground. 
lead with your point of view, lead with a perspective and a hypothesis, and then ask me to confirm or adjust it. That's how you're going to ask questions in the boardroom. That's why I want you to ask questions in the interview. So that's one clarifying question you could have asked. A second clarifying question you could have asked me is, is what? how do you define a dishwasher? And so again, the way that I would have asked that question is, when you ask me to size the market for dishwashers in Canada, I'm thinking that you're asking me to size the market for like residential dishwashers for personal use. And you're not thinking about hotels, restaurants, and other commercial dishwashers. Is, is that accurate? And if you ask me a question like that, I would, I would say yes 99% of the time. What have you just done there? You've showed me that you're thinking about the market holistically, yet you have limited scope by asking me that question. You've taken commercial dishwashers off the table and you've made your work and your life easier. So clarifying questions are really, really helpful tools, not just in market sizing, but like in broader cases to help you narrow the scope of the work that you, you have to do. That's one of the primary purposes of asking a clarifying question. It's not to prove that you're smart. <laughs> it's, to, it's to show me that I'm going to enjoy managing you because you limit scope. You only want to look at what's necessary. You don't want to look at everything. So you could have also asked me uh, that same question, but said, you know what? I'm assuming you're, 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 you want me to look at commercial dishwashers and not residential dishwashers, because I think that the commercial segment of the market would be the largest. Can I just, you know, is that accurate? And I probably would have said yes as well. But if you ask me that question, chances are you're going to limit, you're going to limit scope. You're going to make your life easier. So we're going to take five steps to size a market. Unless told otherwise, we are going to size a market in revenue per year. And then here's the process that, that I want you to steal from us as you size markets. Now, what you're actually going to do in the interview is you're going to walk me through this process three times. Okay. How many of you raise your virtual hand? How many of you started with population when you were looking at the Canadian market? Yeah, I'm seeing, yep, hands raised, yeah, heads nodding. Yep, that's exactly where I would have started. And what I would have done if I was sizing the market for residential dishwashers is I would have translated that population number to households. So the first thing that I would have done if, if I was the interviewee is I would have said, that's a really, I would have asked my clarifying questions and I would have said, that's a really interesting question. I've never thought about dishwashers in Canada before. I'm excited to dive in. Here's the way I'm thinking about breaking down this problem. The first thing I'd like to do is identify the population and more specifically, the number of households in Canada. The second thing I'd like to do is I'd like to break those households up into three to four evenly distributed segments. The third thing I'd like to do is identify inside of each segment, the percentage of households that would own a dishwasher. The fourth thing that I would like to do is identify the frequency of purchase or the replacement rate of a dishwasher inside of each segment. And then the fifth thing I'd like to do is identify an average price that a household in each segment would pay for a dishwasher. How does that sound to you? And then as the interviewer, you would say, hey, that sounds great. What are you doing there? You're doing a couple of things. 
first you're showcasing your ability to be organized and structured. You're walking me through your proposed approach first. Second, you're buying time to think through the assumptions you're going to make because you've got this process memorized. And as you're walking me through this process, you're already thinking ahead to the assumptions that you're going to make. Third, you're showing me the type of person you're going to be on my team, that you're going to come to me with a perspective and a point of view. But then before you actually go and do the work, you're going to open yourself up to feedback and you're going to allow me to direct you. And those are the types of people I'm looking for to join my team. I came to you with a proposed approach. I don't want you to do my work for me. But before I get too far, I want you to adjust me or give me feedback if I need it. And so when you walk me through the structure and then pause and ask if that's good, if that's okay, that's exactly the type of person I'm looking for on my team. And now that you know that revenue per year is the metric that we're solving for, you, you are able to reverse engineer from revenue per year to figure out the steps that you need to take to arrive at revenue per year. And those steps are what is exactly on this slide. The second thing you would do once I've, I've approved your approach is you'd walk through this a second time and just plug in your assumptions. And so I know, and I just know this because I know this, that the population of Canada is around 30 million people. Surprisingly small, by the way, for, for people who don't recognize that. The U.S. is between 320 to 350 million people. Canada is larger by landmass, but only has 10% of the population of the U.S. So I would say I'm going to assume that Canada has around 30 million people because I know that it's much, much smaller than the US and I'm I'm assuming it's about 10% of the size by population. And as a developed Western country where multiple generations don't typically live in the same household, I'm going to assume that the household size, the average household size in Canada is quite small. And so I'm gonna assume that there are around three people per household, which gives us 10 million households in Canada. The next thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to choose a segmentation. And there are really five main ways that you could segment a market. Age, income, geography, gender, and needs. So you can pick one of those segmentation options and apply it to the households that you've just identified. So you're going to say, I'm going to segment this market by geography. And I'm going to think about this market in terms of urban, suburban, and rural. And I think that X percent of households are in this segment, Y percent are in this segment, and Z percent are in this segment. I'm then going to go through in each segment and identify the percentage of households in each segment that already own a dishwasher. And I think it's A for this segment, B for this segment, C for this segment. I'm then going to assume that inside of each segment, there's a little bit of a different frequency of purchase. There's a different replacement rate. I think it's A for this segment, B for this segment, C for this segment. And then I'm gonna do the same thing for the average price. All you're doing the second time is walking me through your assumptions. You haven't done any math yet. So you walk me through your assumptions, 
And then you ask him, you ask me for my thoughts on those assumptions. And I might push back. If you tell me Canada has like a billion people, I'll probably push back on you. <laughs> uh, if you tell me that Canada has like 100,000 people, I'll also push back on you. Market sizing is not a test for how much information you have memorized. I just want you to be directionally correct with the assumptions that you're making. Because a lot of the models that you're going to build on the job are going to require you to make some level of, of reasonable assumptions. And so that's what I'm testing for here. And uh, you'll have clients and you'll have stakeholders who in a meeting will ask you to adjust inputs and assumptions on the fly inside of a meeting. So I want to see if you can do that in real time. After that, you'll walk me through this structure again the third time. This time you'll do the calculations. So you'll take the numbers that you just laid out and you'll actually do the math. And you'll do the math across your paper for each segment. If you are writing as you talk, and if you are walking me through your structure first, your assumption second, and then doing the calculations third, the chances are very slim you're going to mess up on the math. Where people mess up on the math is that they dive right into trying to get to an answer without first walking me through their structure and without second walking me through their assumptions. Math inside of case interviews is less about the calculations and more about the process you use to get to an answer. Even in the quantitative part of a case, it's more about structure than it is about actual calculations. And if you get the structure right, if you lay out the math right, you'll find you're actually much better at the actual calculations. There's a, a, a lot of candidates out there that think they're bad at math. Turns out they're just really bad at laying out math. And so focus first on how you set up your problem-solving approach before you dive right into trying to actually solve the problem. The last thing that I want you to do once you've done the calculations and given me a number is I want you to end with insights. So tell me, is this a bigger number than you expected? Is this a smaller number than you expected? Why is that so? Oh, you know what? That's a smaller number than I expected. If if I could do this again, I would I would assume that Canada has more people. Or I would assume that a dishwasher costs more. Or I would assume a lower frequency of purchase. Give me some level of, of insight. Tell me what you think about the answer that you just arrived at. Let me put these on a slide, just so you all can see them. I know I mentioned them already. But five ways that I'd recommend that you segment markets. Age, income. Typically, income is segmented upper, middle, upper, middle lower. Geography, typically segmented urban, suburban, rural. Gender, for the sake of market research, typically segmented as adult male, adult female, youth. And then needs. You've got your lovers, your likers, and your haters. All right. So if I asked you to size the market, for example, for bicycles in Italy, there will be, you'll have your like professional bikers, your professional bicyclists. That'll be one segment. You'll have the people that recreationally bike who might be one segment. And then you'll have other portions of the population who you can pay to get on a bike, right? Those are your haters. So it can sometimes make sense to segment a market by needs. You do not need more than one level of segmentation at the MBA level. Don't overcomplicate things. Just pick one. And you just have to introduce it at some part of your structure. 
So what I did is I seg- I, I introduced the segmentation on the household level and I thought about it by geography. But you could have also introduced uh, a segmentation uh, option on at the price level and thought about dishwashers in terms of like luxury, kind of regular, and then budget dishwashers. So you can take some liberty with, with how you segment markets, but give me at least one level of segmentation at the MBA level. Here's how I did it. I actually did it sitting on a plane six weeks ago because I'm a nerd like that. But I was like literally sitting there thinking through my structure, thinking through my assumptions, and then doing the calculations. And so for the residential dishwasher market in Canada, the number I got to was about $375 million a year. And as I, if I was walking you through my assumptions, I would back up why I'm making that assumption every step of the way. I would give you a reason why I think that 20% of the population is urban and 70% is suburban and 10% is rural. Right? And I would say that I know about 90% of Canada's population lives within 100 miles of the U.S. border. So I think it's a fair ex- ex- extrapolation to say that 90% of the population is probably urban or suburban. I would give you rationale why I think 70% of urban dwellers own dishwashers and 80% of suburban dwellers own dishwashers and only 50% of rural um, uh, dwellers own dishwashers. I'd give you rationale. I'd say, look, I'd expect in, in a lot of urban centers for homes and townhomes and apartments to have dishwashers. But I actually lived in Washington, D.C. and lived in a 200-year-old building that did not have a dishwasher. And so I understand that in a lot of urban centers, there are older buildings that don't have the hookups. And I can use my own personal experience and perspective to support the assumptions that I'm making. I would do the same thing for my assumption on suburban ownership and the same thing for my assumption of rural ownership. Stay away from assuming that 0% or 100% of any segment does anything. There's always someone that owns something or does something, and there's never that everyone does something. Right? Even on this call, I'm sure that there are, are many, many people who did not grow up with the dishwasher. So I would not assume that 100% of any segment of any population owns or buys or uses any product or any service. Let me walk you through just a couple of need-to-know facts for market sizing. Again, market sizing is not a memorization game. I'm not testing you on how much information you know, how many facts you have got memorized, but some facts can be helpful for you just to keep in your back pocket as you're making assumptions. So for my US MBAs, you should know the US population, and perhaps even more importantly, you should know the US age distribution. So US population, you can use 300 million, you can use 320 million, you can use 350 million. The US age distribution is really, really interesting. You have 10 10 million people in the US for every five-year increment. So zero to five years old, 10 million people. Six to 10 years old, 10 million people. 11 to 15 years old, 10 million people. And it goes on and on like this until you hit age 70. And then there are just 20 million people in the US that are older than age 70. 
And it's remarkable how evenly distributed the US population is. So as you're making assumptions inside of a market size in question or inside of a broader case, knowing that age distribution can be really, really helpful for you to, to get directionally correct uh, in the analysis that you're doing. You should know the population of the city you're living in, because one of the reasons I love market sizing questions is I can make them up on the spot. Hmm, I wonder what the uh, what the size is for you know ceramic coffee mugs in Texas. Right, go. Right, I don't have to know the answer. I don't have to have any additional data for you. And oftentimes the the reference that I'll use to make up a question is the city I know you you you're living in. I might also use the city that I'm based in. So you should know the population of the city you're interviewing for. And then it's helpful for you just to know the population of two countries per continent for benchmarking reasons. If I ask you to size the market, let's use that bikes in Italy example again. You might know you might not know the Italy population, but you might know France and Germany. And knowing France and Germany can help you get to a reasonable assumption for Italy. The only two countries where you can't really benchmark against are India and China. So you should know the populations of India and China, but knowing the population of India doesn't really help you know the population of Bangladesh or the population of Sri Lanka. So you should know the populations of two countries per continent, not including India and China. And that'll be enough for you just for your benchmarking purposes. Three areas that I evaluate you on Yes, in market sizing, but also in the broader case, which is why market sizing is a great place to start your prep. First, I evaluate you on structure. What do I mean by structure? I mean organization. Are you organized in your approach? Are you displaying clarity of thought? And if you're going to use this framework, and if you're going to walk me through it three times, then you're going to display structure and organization. By the way, if someone ever gives you feedback, you need to be more structured. What they're actually saying is you need to be more organized. The second thing that I'm evaluating you on is problem solving. Number one, do you get to an answer? Number two, do you get to an answer that makes sense? There's two unacceptable answers. I need more time. I need more data. That's not going to fly in a case, and it's not going to fly on the job. So when I say problem solving, I mean, do you get me to an answer, and does it make sense? And then third, communication. Do you talk me through your process in a way that's easy for me to follow without looking at your paper? And do you talk me through your process in a way that I actually want to believe you? Two of you could give me the same answer. You could walk me through the same process. One of you could own your assumptions. One of you could smile. And the other one could be looking down, nervous, uh, kind of st stuttering and stammering. You could give me the same content but I'm gonna believe one of you and not believe the other one. So do you talk me through your, your process clearly and also confidently? Because me believing your answer comes down to me believing your process, but also believing your delivery. And I'm evaluating how you're gonna deliver recommendations, walkthroughs, process to my clients. Uh, and I'm, if you can't do that, then I can't trust you to be in front of a client I've spent years building a relationship with. So smile, act like you're having fun. If you make a mistake, recognize it, 
and say, oh, I think I missed a zero there. Let me go back and fix that. Own it and move on. It's not the end of the world. That's what I, that's what I'm looking for as I'm running you through a market sizing prompt. And honestly, as I'm running you through any type of case, all, all of the evaluations on my paper uh, at McKinsey, Bain and BCG are really like subcategories of these three parent categories that you see here on this slide. Okay, I'm gonna recommend that you start your prep with market sizing. Here's why. First, there are, a market sizing question is almost always part of a, a broader round one case. Second, market sizing can also be used as a standalone round zero interview. This is especially true for those of you that are coming from non-core schools. There are firms that will like run you through a screening interview. And often a part of that screening interview will be like a short kind of technical question or mini case like this. So be prepared for this in a round zero setting and then definitely be prepared for this in a round one. The other reason I recommend you start here is because all of the skills we've just talked about are skills that you need to display inside of a broader case. You need to have the ability to develop a structure to an ambiguous problem. You need to have the ability to make reasonable assumptions. You need to have the ability to do calculations on the fly, and you need to have the ability to, to, to extract insights from the numbers that you get. That's what I'm gonna ask you to do in any kind of case. But market sizing is a really accessible and easy way to start to build those skills because you can do these on your own, like in your everyday life. You can be driving down the road and see a fireworks shack on the side of the road and think, hmm, I wonder what the size of the fireworks market is in, in this state. You can be walking on campus. You can see a, a desk chair and think, hmm, I wonder what the, what the size of the desk chair market is in this city. And you can be thinking through this and just internalizing this as you go. You don't need a partner initially, right? These are easy questions to make up. And they're easy, it's easy to start to internalize this process on your own, which is why I recommend that you start here. And if I were you, I would do two market sizing questions a day on my own for the next five days. And then after that, I would do two market sizing questions a day for the next five days with a partner and have the partner push back on some of your assumptions, right? Have them ask you, hey, you know what? How would the answer change if you had adjusted this variable? All right? Just have them ask you some basic questions so that you get used to the back and forth inside of an interview setting. And so that you also get used to presenting your answers verbally to someone. There is no other way to simulate the interview environment other than doing this with another human being out loud. Uh, and, and so you want to get there really, really quickly. Okay. That is my 30-ish minute crash course on market sizing. Typically when we're running our case workshops, we take about an hour to go through this, but I wanted to just give you a flavor and a preview, something practical to hang your hat on coming out of today. What I wanna quickly do is for those of you who aren't familiar with us, I want to give you just a sense, first of all, of, of who we are, and then I wanna give you a practice plan that you can execute coming out of today. So for those of you who aren't familiar, Management Consultants is the world's largest provider of case and consulting interview prep. You're in a community of over three and a half million people. You're in good company. And 99% of what we do is completely free. Like this today, completely free. 
so we've got a ton of free content on the website that I would love for you to take advantage of. Uh, a free case course, a free um, math drills, free case examples, a salary report, a firm directory, whatever kind of information you're looking for, if it has to do with consulting, we've got it. We run private boot camps and workshops for our university partners. So if you're at an MBA program that doesn't bring us in and you found that first 30 minutes helpful and you would want like a like longer case workshop tailored to you and your cohort, then let us know and we'd love to be connected with your university. We do about 150 of these workshops a year for 90 university partners. Uh, and so if we don't come to your program, your program's in the minority. Uh, and so we would love for, for your program and you and your peers to be getting the same training that uh, MBAs at over 90 different business schools are around the world. We have self-study training materials that are available on the website. I'll let you find those. Uh, the navigation's pretty intuitive. Uh, and then we also do one-on-one -on -one editing and training as well. So I mentioned at the top of the call, our MBA case prep program that's coming up. You can find the links in the chat. I'll talk more about that when we get to the end of today. But if you want to work with us one-on-one -on -one to update your resume, to build a networking plan, and then for us to run you through case prep one-on-one, -on -one, um, you have the option to do that. And we'd love to do that uh, for you and with you. We cover the entirety of the recruiting process. So what are we focused on today? Just case interview prep. Is that all you need to know to be successful? No. You need to have a kick-ass resume and cover letter. You need to have a, a bona fide networking strategy. You need to have 12 to 15 behavioral interview stories prepared. And oh yeah, you need to then be prepared for what life on the job is actually like. There's, there's a lot that goes into consulting recruiting. It's like a three-legged stool. And if you take one of the legs away, the stool is going to fall apart. And so we're talking about one leg of the stool today, which is case interviews. But just recognize it's not the only thing you need to be focused on. So if you have questions about resumes, networking fit, we can we can answer those at the end of today. Last thing I just want to quickly mention before we get into the practice plan is that the MBAs we work with land offers at 170 different firms. Why am I bringing this up? Because case interviews are no longer just a consulting thing. If you're an MBA pursuing a leadership development program, a rotational program, if you're pursuing a role in internal strategy, if you're uh, pursuing a role in product management, if you're pursuing a role in marketing, chances are you are going to see a case interview. You're pursuing a strategy role at Wendy's, you're going to see a case interview. You're pursuing a strategy role at Schindler Elevator, you're going to see a case interview. You're pursuing an engineering role at Shell, you're going to see a case interview. So the good news for you is, even if you don't end up going into consulting, what we're teaching you today and just going through the case prep process is valuable training for interview processes at a lot of other employers that recruit MBAs. So this is not just a consulting skill anymore. All right, let's get into the plan. All right, what's what's the plan? What do you want me to do? That's why I came. All right, here it is. So the optimal approach, the optimal way to prepare for case interviews is to take a drill-based approach. Let me break that down for you. The first thing that I want you to do, I've already mentioned it, is start with market sizing. I'm not going to repeat myself. Okay, once you have gotten past market sizing and once you've internalized that structure, the next thing that I want you to do is do 10 cases twice. Run through them the first time with a timer. By the way, it should take you 17 minutes to get through a first round case. Your first round interviews um, are going to be 
30 minute slots. You've got eh, two minutes for small talk, 10 minutes for behavioral questions, and then the remaining 17 to 18 minutes for the case. If you don't finish the case on time, you're probably not getting an offer. You're probably not moving on in my process. So make sure you practice with a timer. The first time you run through a case, I want you to focus on quality, not speed. So focus on understanding the prompt. Focus on asking good clarifying questions. Focus on building as robust of a structure as you can. Focus on getting the math right. Focus on driving to insights. Right, just focus on doing a good job. The second thing that I want you to do then is I want you to run through the same case again right away. You're already going to be familiar with the case. You're already going to know what's coming next. Running through the case the second time is a great way for you to get faster and for you to dig deeper. I was hey, I could think of one clarifying question the first time. Now I'm going to push myself to think of two to three. I was able to think of like three categories to put in my framework the first time. I'm going to push myself to get to four this time with three data points underneath each one. It took me six minutes to do the math the first time. I'm going to push myself to do it in four minutes this time. I was able to get to really surface level insights from the math the first time. I'm going to push myself to get to like more robust insights the second time. It's one thing for you to recognize what your gap areas are. It's another thing for you to try and fill them immediately. Because what happens is someone will give you feedback or you'll give yourself feedback and you'll think, great, I'm going to fix that next time. And you don't do a case for like five more days and you completely forgot what you were going to focus on the next time. Like once you uncover a gap, try and fill it as quickly as possible. So it's going to seem silly to run through the same case twice. I promise you it'll accelerate your progress. And the really strategic ones among you will actually track your progress in like an Excel spreadsheet. You're all targeting strategic roles. You should be strategic in the way that you're preparing for this kind of role. So build a spreadsheet and keep track of which case you did and what date you did it and what type of case it was and what firm style it represented and how long it took you to run through the case and where you were strongest and where you were weakest. Keep track of these things so that you can in, like, in, have an impartial record of what you're doing well and what you're not doing well. Don't rely on your memory. Once you've done those 20 cases, get with a partner. And if you join our case prep cohort, you'll have built-in partners. You've got built-in partners at your program. You've got built-in partners on our free case partner group that's on LinkedIn. There's a lot of different places you can go to get case partners. But get with a partner, download our free scoring chart that you can find on the website, and have them run you through cases. Once you've done another five to 10 cases with a partner, you will have a really good sense of where you're strong and where you're not. At that point, you want to drill your weaknesses. Here's the, the dirty little secret, and maybe it's not a secret to you, uh, but there's a lot of misconception out there around how case uh, interviews are evaluated. I am looking for well-rounded candidates. You have to meet a benchmark level of performance in each area of my evaluation. 
you do not get a pass for being a superstar in one area. So you can't be a 99 out of 100 in math and a 69 out of 100 in structure and expect to move on. I'm going to take the candidate that's an 85 out of 100 in each area of evaluation. What does that mean? It means that you can't ignore your weaknesses. You have to, you have to address them. And the best way to address weaknesses is not by doing a lot of cases. If you do 100 cases, here's what's going to happen. Your strengths are going to get stronger. Your weaknesses are also going to get stronger, but you probably won't close the gap between the two. The way that you close the gap between the two is by being intentional about drilling your gap areas. So on our website, we have structure drills. If structure is an issue for you, we have math drills. We have brainstorming drills. We have business acumen drills. We have chart drills, graph drills, exhibit drills, so that when you identify where you're strong and where you're not, you have a resource to go to to drill and fix those mistakes. This, by the way, is like a great time for you to use books as well. A lot of people read books at the beginning of their process, right? You'll read Case in Point. You'll read Case Interview Secrets. They're great books, but reading them early on is really a waste of time because it's 300 pages of theory. You intellectually get it, but you actually don't know if you've gotten it until you apply it. So I like to use the books more as a tool to fix my mistakes. Oh, I'm struggling with my frameworks. Let me go to Victor Chang's book and like do some of the exercises in case interview secrets. Let me go like reread the structure chapter. Like that's the best use of those books. It's to use them to fix specific mistakes and gap areas, not to like read all 300 pages and waste a whole bunch of your time. Once you've done an hour or two of focused drill-based prep, you can go back and run through more full cases and see if you've improved. Put it all back together and roll. Okay. This is the exact same process that we guide our clients through. So I'm just giving you our plan here for free. It's up to you now to execute. Now, those first 10 cases that I mentioned, the ones I want you to do twice, what should those cases be? Great question. Here they are. So four out of those 10 cases should be profitability cases. Four out of those 10 cases should be market study cases. And two out of those 10 cases should be M&A cases. That will give you a great initial, like broad-based view and understanding of different case types and problem types. From there, you can move to level two cases and then more creative and advanced cases. And inside of our case library, you will find cases tagged with this nomenclature. So you can find profitability cases, you can find market study cases, you can find M&A cases. Okay, so between the market sizing I've asked you to do and between these cases, you now have your first like 20 to 30 cases that you need to do coming out of today. Here are some checkpoints between now and interviews that I would just recommend that you hit. Right, A lot of us need a plan to stay accountable to. And so here's one. By Thanksgiving, you should have completed 10 market sizing cases out loud and five full cases out loud with a partner. That's a really good place to be by Thanksgiving. By December 15th, 
you should be starting to blend frameworks and create your own. And you should be starting to think through your behavioral interview stories as well. And then by interviews, you want to be accurate on your mental math and quick. You want to be comfortable with data visualization and interpretation. You want to be structured in your brainstorming. So don't just give me good ideas, stream of consciousness. Communicate them in a way where they're organized and categorized and I can follow them. And you should have exposure to different case types and firm styles by the time January 1st rolls around. So our Black Belt program is built to have you hit these checkpoints. But you can hit them without us. You just need to know what they are. Right. So now that you've got a target to hit, you can choose whether you work with us or not. But my recommendation is that you you hit these targets, whether it's with us or without us. Last thing I'll show you here before we open it up for a couple of questions is this is what our coaching plan looks like that we at a high level work through with our clients. And so if you join Black Belt, this is what you can expect. If you don't join Black Belt and want to steal this, you're more than welcome to. So uh, once once a, a candidate has gone through those initial 10 cases that we've asked them to do, and it's time for them to really bump their, their um, out loud practice up a notch, we run them through a diagnostic case. And we want to get a sense of where those specific gap areas lie relative to your timeline and your target firms. We then run you through some targeted sessions to fill those gaps. We may do a couple sessions just on frameworks, on structure. We may do a couple just on math. Maybe it's chart and graph interpretation that you're struggling with. We may do a, a, a couple sessions that are, are hitting multiple areas. Maybe it's the brainstorming and the chart interpretation you need, you need help with. But we'll build a tailored prep plan for you based on that diagnostic session. And then once you're starting to hit that benchmark level of performance inside of each area of evaluation, we'll put everything back together and start running you through full cases. And at that point, we move away from being your coach and more towards being your mock interviewer. And we focus a lot on communication, on polish, and on pressure testing. So... This is what you can expect if you work with us. But as you start working with any partner, even if it's not us, this is a good plan for you to adapt and follow. Last couple of things I'll just mention. I won't read through this. I've mentioned it already. You all can see it here on the slide. But that program that I've mentioned, it's, it's called Black Belt. It's our flagship case prep program. We're running a special MBA cohort in December. And if you'd like to learn more, you can click the link in the chat or you can ask questions once we get to the Q&A portion. But we have 25 MBB coaches who are amazing and standing by ready to help you succeed. You get to choose your coach. You get to read their bio. You get to look at their availability and you get to see like whose experience resonates with you. And you get to choose who you'd like to work with. There are former BCG principals on this list. There are former McKinsey partners on this list. Um, everybody who's on our coaching team was either a case buddy or an interviewer at McKinsey, Bain, or BCG. And they have been thoroughly vetted by our team 
less than half the folks who want to join our coaching team actually make the cut because it's a different skill to coach someone to do a case than it is to go through one. So these are the best of the best. Uh, and this is who you'll be working with um, if you decide to work with management consultant. And with that, we'll wrap up for today. So thank you so much, everybody, for joining us. Uh, we're uh, really excited to work with those of you who, who decide to engage with management consultant moving forward. But regardless, we wish you the best of luck, uh, really and truly. Uh, and if you have any questions along your along your journey, don't hesitate to, to reach out to us. You can write us at team at managementconsulted.com. Uh, you can also connect with us on LinkedIn. And we are happy to uh, answer your questions, uh, encourage you, right? We're in your corner. Uh, and so uh, let us know how we can help as you move forward in the recruiting process. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for joining this MBA case prep strategy episode. If you enjoyed it, leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to let us know what you're thinking about the show. We'd love hearing from you. If you're in the U.S., happy Thanksgiving. Hope you enjoy a wonderful holiday with family or friends or wherever you may be at. As always, you can reach us at team at managementconsulted.com with your questions or comments, and we'll get back to you as soon as possible. We'll catch you on another episode of Strategy Simplified very soon. Cheers.